that is. Love Christmas music. Uh, let me say this, you know, the key verse uh, that, uh, that we've had so far through our entire series on marriage has been Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. And I'm, I'm hoping that we're becoming more familiar with that verse. Uh, Paul writes there, he says this, Ephesians 5, 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, meaning marriage, refers to Christ and the church. And the New Testament, when it, when it uses the word mystery, it's not speaking about something that can't be understood. It's speaking about something that was at one time hidden, but now over time is being revealed for us both to understand it and for our own good. So, so in the case of marriage, as Paul says here, being a mystery, uh, what he was saying is that at one time in history, those in the Old Testament, they didn't fully understand the significance and the purpose of marriage as we do now in the New Testament with the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is, with Christ coming, now we understand what the marriage relationship is to look like. We understand its true purpose. In essence, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, the primary purpose of marriage, and we all need to understand this, is not our individual happiness. We don't get married or stay married primarily because it makes us happy. Uh, our primary purpose of marriage is not for sexual fulfillment, is not for companionship, it's not for bearing children, having children. All those things are wonderful blessings of God. The primary purpose, according to the Word of God, that God has revealed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, is this, is that the purpose of marriage is to emulate what it looks like to be in a relationship with Christ. That is, the husband and wife are to mimic. They are to live in such a way that shows the same type of relationship that Christ has with his church. And so another way of putting that is, men, if we want to know how to be good husbands to our wives, then we need to study the New Testament. And when we look at the New Testament, we see how Christ relates to the church. And seeing that, we now know how to relate to our wives, vice versa, Ladies, if you want to know how to be the wife that God wants you to be, then look to the New Testament and see what, how the church relates to Jesus Christ. And in seeing that relationship and that relation, you begin to understand how you are supposed to relate to your husband. Is that, does that make sense, kind of? All right. And so that's what we've seen so far. In fact, two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we looked at what this looked like for wives as we begin to talk about uh, the fact, the roles of wives. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he says, here's the role for, for, for wives in marriage. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So there what Paul was doing is he was not only, ladies, letting you know what the role is within the home, he also was telling you how to do it and how it ultimately should look. He was saying the role is to, to willingly submit to your husband. Nobody's forcing you to do that. Nobody should be forcing you to do that. Instead, what you're doing is you're willfully doing it. And so here's what it looks like. It looks, and this is what we said, we said a lot of what it looked like, we said a lot of what it wasn't, but just to kind of sum it up, here's, here's what the Apostle Paul was saying. Ladies, take all of your rights, take all of your wants, take all of your desires, take all of what it is that you want, and lay it at the feet of your husband and entrust yourself to him. Now, that's frightening, okay? All right, that's frightening, and we talked about how frightening that is, but we said that, that men, though, have a role in this as well. And what is that role? And we said this, it's for you men and for me as a husband 
to go and to pick up those rights, pick up those wants, pick up those desires, and for the rest of our life, do all that we can to make sure that our wife never regrets that decision. That's our role. Never doing that. And so what I want to do today is I want to try to help you with that. And I don't want to help you because I've been able to accomplish it in, in my marriage. If you were to say, hey, any disappointments at all in your marriage? my wife would probably come up with something, right? So I'm not trying to lead you by experience and perfection. I'm trying to lead you from the perfection of the word of God and what God, how God instructs us men. So if we're going to lead or if we're going to uh, uh, take this on and not allow our wives to be disappointed, this is what we need to do. We find it in the word of God by understanding our roles and how to live that out. So we've seen the role of women according to the word of God. The role for the wife is willing submission to her husband. Here's the role of of the husband. Here it is, guys. You ready? It is loving, lovingly leading your wives. Lovingly leading your wives. Now, where do I get that? Am I just making that up? Or is that anchored in the text of Scripture? Yeah, it's anchored in the text of Scripture. Notice, if you will, in verse 22, 23, verse 22, right after Paul says to the, to, to the wives that they're to submit to their husbands, he follows that up immediately with verse 23, and he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So we see that one-on-one correlation again, right? We see Christ in the church, and we see the husband and his wife. They relate in the same way. Yet, we, we, isn't that clear in the text? And so now we know that Christ is the head of the church. Would we all agree with that? And he says, therefore, the husband, likewise, is to be the head of his family. And headship means leadership. Now, let me say this. I understand just by saying that, I probably tick some people off here. All right, here's why. Because number one, in the world, the sinful world that we live in, they have no appreciation for any thought of a wife submitting in any way or a man leading a woman in any way that is, that is completely repulsive and repugnant in the eyes of many people in the world. But let me explain something. It's not only in the world that this idea of male leadership is rejected. It's also now has its talons within the church itself. There's a group of people who identify themselves as egalitarians. And egalitarians, in essence, will say, hey, you know what? There should be no distinction between a husband and wife and the roles at marriage at all. Both of them are exactly the same. Both of them are equally to submit to each other, and both of them should lead equally to each other. There's basically no difference except for physiologically between a man and a woman. And what they do is they, they, they anchor that into one passage of Scripture, and we see it here in the text of Scripture in verse 21. Look at that for a moment. They, they use this for their argument. Verse uh, Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for the Lord. He's talking about a husband and wife submitting equals submitting to each other. So here's the argument. See, we shouldn't be talking about a wife simply submitting to her husband and a husband leading because the Bible's clear here. It's mutual submission to one another. So what do we do with that? Is there a distinction between the two? How should we understand the text of Scripture here? Well, uh, let me suggest this. I do believe in equal submission, a husband and a wife together. But I believe that this is what he means in there. Context is king. He's talking in context of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you're married, if this marriage is going to be what God wants it to be, you can't be walking in the flesh, amen? 
You've got to be filled with the Spirit. And the way that you know that you're filled with the Spirit is both of you are mutually submitting to each other in this way that you are denying yourself, you're humbling yourself, and you're looking to meet the needs and serve your spouse. Would we all agree that that should be done both by the husband and wife? Yes. Yes? All right, I'll preach faster if you're quicker to respond, okay? And so, so mutual response to each other. But then what Paul does, but, but, what, but what Paul is suggesting here is the way that a husband and wife serve each other is different. The way that it does. And so what he does is he uses the next 12 verses to show that there is an actual distinction between the way, the way in which we serve each other. Let me, let me explain it this way. It's like Christ. I think all of us would agree that Christ serves the church, would you? Would you say that? You better say that, right? That's the essence of salvation. How did he serve the church? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He served us by giving his life on the cross. That's how he serves, and he continues to serve us, uh, to, to protect us and to lead us and to empower us. He, he does all of these things. But I think at the same time, we would say that the church serves Christ. Would we agree on that as well? Yes? So there is an idea of mutual submission where both are humbling themselves in a way and seeking to meet the needs or to serve the other person, let's put it that way, to serve the, the, the other. That's very clear, but I think we would also agree that we do that differently, that Christ serves the body differently than the body serves Christ. Would you agree with that? I certainly hope you do, because if we begin to take on the role of Christ, then we are all in big trouble. Would you agree? It ends in disaster. Stop and think for a moment, and what I would say is just like that would be a disaster, in the home itself, when a man and a woman, when they are not taking on their God-given roles and they switch those roles, it ends in disaster as well. Stop and think about the first marriage, Adam and Eve. What happened? A reversal of roles. The man was supposed to be leading and protecting his home and providing for his home. What does he do? He doesn't do it. There is a vacuum of leadership with Adam and Eve. So what does Eve do? She fills it and she becomes a spiritual leader in the home. And how does it end up resulting? All the earth falls into sin and is marred with sin because of the reversal of those two roles. And what I would suggest today is what Paul's saying in all of these verses is this. Every single one of us, men, women, we need to humble ourselves, mutually submit to our spouse, no doubt, seeking to be able to meet each other's need. We need to do that. We're agreed. But the way that we primarily do that is different between a man and a woman. For a wife, it is primarily to willingly submit to the leadership of her husband. And for a man, it is to lovingly lead her. You, you with me so far? Now, what we need to understand, though, is we're, what we, that, that's where we get the idea of lovingly leading. But what does it mean? What does it mean to lovely, lovingly lead your wife? Simply put, here it is, men, to lovingly lead your wife means to lovingly serve her. It means to lovingly serve her. I cannot overemphasize that point enough. Here's why. Because in our sin, in our sinfulness, in our sinful flesh, and in a sinful world, there is a tendency for the world to distort the definitions of, uh, of certain things, of certain words. Like, for example, in the area of a wife submitting to a husband. We already shared a couple weeks ago that the world is not accepting of that idea at all. Why? Because it seems demeaning to women. 
What it's doing is it's saying that a woman is being forced to do something against her will, and it demonstrates that she's weak, and we don't want weak women, we want strong women. And what we find out is, hey, you completely misunderstand the biblical understanding of what submission is. Jesus Christ himself was the ultimate example of submission. He submitted to the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit willfully submitted to the Son and to the Father. And guess what? Nobody made Jesus go to the cross. Jesus said it was the will of the Father, but the Father didn't make him. The Romans didn't make him. The Jews didn't make him. He says this. He says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down, and I'll pick it up again. He does it willfully. He lays it down. So what we find is, according to the word, this idea of submitting, they, they equate that to weakness, but the word of God equates that and defines that as meekness, two completely different things. Meekness is power under control. For a wife to submit to her husband, nobody is forcing her to do anything. She has all the abilities and all the rights to hold on to those things and do what she wants to do, but she, on her own power and own accord in submission to God, comes and lays those things down. Nobody makes her ultimately do it. Do you see what we're saying there? The world thinks of it differently. Same thing with leadership. Stop and think about leadership just for a moment. Uh, leadership often gets a bad rap when we think of people in leadership. Not all the time do we think good things. Stop and think about your boss for a minute. See, there you go. See that? Uh, for a moment, you think of your boss, and sometimes we think of people in leadership. We think of sometimes that they're out to do their own thing. We think that they're power hungry. We think that they're, they're basically manipulating, controlling, uh, being self-serving. Uh, they're looking for others to do what they want to do for them to be able to serve. And that may be the view of the world, but that's not the view of the Word of God when it talks about men serving and le- leading their wives. Talk about men leading their wives. We're talking about men serving their wives. For a lost world, the idea of leading and serving seem to be mutually exclusive, but the Bible says, no, it's one and the same. It, it only takes, and the reason we know that is because, again, who are we trying to follow men? The example of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we see that? Stop and think just for a moment. This is before Jesus goes on the cross, before he dies, before he serves us by giving his own life. What does he do the night before at the Last Supper? They're done eating. He gets on his knees before his disciples. He takes a basin of water and clean towels, and he begins to wash the dirty, filthy feet of his disciples. What is he doing that for? He is a servant, is he not? He's washing those feet. He's doing, doing that way. Now, let me ask you this question. In that room at that particular moment, were any of the disciples confused on who was the leader of that group? No. They knew that it was Jesus Christ. And this is the amazing thing to me. Jesus is sending his disciples out to be what? Leaders. They're apostles. They're people who are going to be looking for their leadership. And what does he tell them to do as leaders? He says, what I've done for you, do also for others. What is he saying? Serve them. Get on your knees to serve other people. That's ultimately what leadership looks like. So understand, according to the Bible, service doesn't nullify leadership. It defines leadership. You're not trying to get your wife to do anything. You're not making her do anything. You are leading through sacrificial service to your wife. You got it? I hope so. You're like, okay, um, where's this going? All right, we're about to say, what does it specifically look like? We know where to lead. What kind of leading is it? What does it look like? It's servant leadership. 
But what does that servant leadership specifically look like? I think we're to serve in two ways. And these are specifically, by the way, uh, and, and I want to encourage you again, if you're having questions on this, uh, I've got several books, one of them being John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage. I just want to say that because you can go back to that and read even more than what I'm providing for you here. But he lays out two there, and I, I took them because it's better than what I can say. It. Okay, so just let you know, all right? I'm a thief, yes. But at least I'm letting you know. All right, so somehow that makes that right. So I don't know. Anyway, so here's the idea, two ways that we serve our wives. First of all is in protecting. Look at verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the key phrase, gave himself up for her. Now, what does that mean? The, the, the concept is that Christ is protecting the church from something. What is he protecting the church from? He's protecting them from the righteous wrath of God. Let me stop and think. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you don't understand what this is all about. Let me lay it out as clearly as I can. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we have all willfully disobeyed God. And the Bible says because we've disobeyed our creator and done what was right in our own eyes instead of doing what he says, he says the consequence of that, the penalty of that is death. That is the wrath of God pouring out on us for all eternity. And the Bible says that where that culminates at is in the final judgment, that everybody at the end times when all is said and done stands before God and anybody who still remains in their sin, God, the wrath of God will pour out to them and they will spend an eternity separated from him in a literal fiery hell. That's what we believe the word of God says. So how does Christ protect us from that? He protects us from that by placing himself in the way of harm. He stands between God and between us, and instead of allowing the wrath of God to pour down on us, he takes it upon himself. You said, how does he do that? He hangs on a cross for a period of hours. He hangs there. All the wrath of God that was meant for us because of our disobedience now pours out on him, and then notice this, until it's completely and utterly satisfied. So he protects us, not only at that moment for standing our way, but taking all of our abuse to the point that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no more wrath left over. All of it has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's how he ultimately protects us. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful thing. So what does that mean? We, emulating Christ, need to put ourselves in the way of har- in harm's way between our wife, between our children, and anything else that might be coming its way. What does that mean? Well, at least physically we understand this, right? And, and I think any red-blooded American guy goes, that's my woman, need to protect her. I love my wife. One thing I've learned about women, which is amazing uh, that I learned anything about them is that, and understand it, uh, is that my wife loves that sense of being protected. You know, and I kind of joked, you know, you kind of married the wrong guy. I'm 5'8 and 160 pounds, but uh, I'm not really sure how all that works out. But stuff like, uh, you know, you're walking across the street, and, and I, I just did this naturally because I'm just so cool. And, and, uh, but what I would do is we're walking across the street, and I'll just kind of put my hand on her lower back and just kind of walk. Now, I'm not pushing her, okay, across in, in the traffic, but just kind of wash, make sure she's okay and everything. And she goes, I love that. I love that. I, I feel, I feel safe when you do that. I'm like, all right. So she's walking around the kitchen. I'm like, yeah, just so anyway. I mean, look, if you're a one-trick pony, you, you just got to keep going back to that trick, right? And so, so, so listen, for you guys, maybe you just don't understand this. Let me, let me say it as clearly as I possibly can. Um, if you hear a thump in the night when you're in bed, you know, with your wife and you all are sleeping, 
You don't turn over to wife and say, hey, do you mind checking that out, all right? <laughs> what do you do? You, you, you get up. And in, in our room, in our room, I, I'm closest to the door. And people are like, well, wait a minute, but then you're on the right side. I have to sleep on the right side. Then turn your bed around, all right? I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the answer is. Then. I'm not trying to be legalistic. All I'm saying is something's coming through that door, and it's usually a dog or you know, a sick kid or something. But I'm going to put my way in between the best that I can to be able to protect my wife. I, I'm going to go out there, okay? I'm going to go out there, and, and if there's something bad happening out there that's meant for the rest of my family, I'm going to stand in the way of my family, whatever happens to me. D- does that make sense? So, so that's where, that's at least what that means physically. But let me, let me suggest this. It certainly goes beyond that because Christ isn't only protecting us physically, he's protecting us spiritually as well. So he protects us in the fact that he protects us from an enemy that ultimately wants to destroy us, Satan, the enemy. And what does he want to do? Well, he wants to destroy us spiritually. And so what we find is that we too are supposed to be protecting our families uh, spiritually. And that's men, I think we would all admit, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, we would probably just all admit, no matter how wondrous you are as a dad, it's probably where we fall short. I think there's no question for many of us that we would go and we'd do anything to be able to defend our wife and our family, but that's not cutting it. Because what I found so oftentimes is that where a wife really feels ultimate, this, this, this ultimate protection is not just the fact that you are there physically, but that you're, you're mentoring and you're helping and you're feeding and you're, you're, you're protecting spiritually. Now, how do we do that? Let me, let me give you two, two ways. I think number one, what we do is we set, uh, we set the standards in our own home. In other words, just like if physically you would, you'd make sure who's coming in and who's coming out, would, would you not, in order to protect? Well, then you ultimately determine and you set the standard for what's coming in your home, whether it be on the airwaves of the television, whether it be by cable, whether it be by video, whether it be uh, by, by radio, whatever it is, you're setting the standards there. You're filtering and making sure what's coming in is actually acceptable and is right about coming in. And let me just give you a couple, little bit of advice at this. You need to do this sooner, not later. Sooner, not later. Because men, oftentimes, we're not proactive. We're reactionary. So what I find with men oftentimes is they let the garbage get in their house. They're not trying to defend their families. It's all in their house. And then when the teenagers are 15, 16, 17 years of age, all of a sudden they're like, you need to quit listening to this junk. It's too late. The damage is done. You need to be protecting before that has that influence on that family to begin with. And what I'm saying to you is the mom doesn't always want to have to be the one in the bad guy that's letting them, no, no, don't listen to that. Don't wear that. Don't do that. What she's looking for is some help. And that help begins with the man to sit there and say, we're going to set the standard. It needs to happen earlier, not later. But let me tell you one more aspect about this. A, you need to be living by that same standard. And that standard is not ultimately your standard. It's God's standard. Because our sinfulness will sit there and say, we're going to do things the way that I like it, and, by, and you're going to lead your family and set standards based on what you like and what you don't like, and that's not what it's about. What it's about is you and I setting standards that are absolutely, clearly God's standards. That you sit there and say, we listen to that which is holy. We do what is holy according to God's standards. Because guys, here's how you're going to protect your child. Your leadership within the home, and get this, should be no different than what God is requiring for that young person's life. You are setting the boundaries of what God requires in your own home so then when they're gone and they begin to understand this relationship with God, they understand, hey, this is just, we, we know these standards. 
We've seen these standards. This is a standard that I was raised up with. Why? Because it's God's standard, not just mom and dad's standard. Does that, that make any sense? So you protect them how? By setting standards. Let me tell you another way, and it's probably the most important way to be able to protect your children, is to pray for them. Pray for them. How much time do you sit there praying? And I don't mean just praying for them physically. I mean, you know, dads all the time, oh God, they're going to travel. Please let them be safe. Listen, we need to begin to care even more about the spiritual well-being of our children. Because what if they live safely for 99 years, but when they die, there's lost as a dog in high weeds and they bust hell wide open. 90 years isn't going to cut it. We're praying for them spiritually. What do you pray for? Pray that they'll get saved. I pray that out loud to our kids. God, I pray that all of them will come to faith in you. They probably, I know they probably think that he's a robot, right? Because they keep praying the same thing. God, help them get saved at a young age. Help them understand your grace. Help them understand their need for you. And you're like, you know, that's like brainwashing. That's right, it's brainwashing. I will brainwash them right into heaven if I have to, right? And so you're just sitting there and you're letting them know, hey, look, you know, pray for them out loud. Pray for them for, for, for the friends they hang out with, that they'll have good godly friends. Pray this, that they'll be a godly friend. Pray for their godly mate. Let, put it in their idea. God, let them know that they will marry a godly woman or a godly man or whatever that, you understand? Put that in there. Let them know that that's your prayer for them. Let them make sure that they're not being overwhelmed by, by, by peer pressure and, and the strain of the culture and all these things. You, listen to me, men, you are primary there to be able to protect the heart and the soul of your children. And the greatest tool that you have is prayer before God to go and to be able to pray for them. And we, we see this even with Christ. I love this. Uh, with, with Christ, he comes in John chapter 17, verse 11, in his high priestly prayer. He says this, right before he goes to the cross, he says, and I am no longer in the world. He says, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, while you have, um, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then he goes on and he says, he says I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost then he says, I do not ask that you will take them out of this world, but that you will keep them from the evil one. Stop and think about it. We're supposed to be mimicking Christ and his relation to the, to the church, right? Jesus Christ himself, an all-existing, all-knowing, all-powerful God, prays to the Father for the protection of his bride. I don't know about you, but I think if he's going to do it, then I need to do it. I need to pray for protection for my wife, I need to pray for protection for my children, for my whole household. That's my responsibility. There's a second thing. Not only are we called to protect, but we're also called to provide. Now, look, if you will, at verse 28. It says, In the same ways husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I don't think anybody who's ever tasted of the grace of Jesus Christ doubts the fact or would suggest that Jesus isn't a great provider, would you? Right? I mean, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people that are in grave need. God has certainly provided for us everything that is necessary for life and for godliness, the scriptures say, right? And so he's given it to us all. He's done an amazing job there, uh, both in physically and spiritually. So what does that mean for us? Well, men, 
it means at least we need to be and take on the primary responsibility, and I say primary responsibility, for providing for our family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, a man that doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. And look, I, I understand all of this where, look, the truth is you may have married a genius and she, your wife may make more money than you and all that. Let me just say this to you. No matter whether she makes more money or to you, how that works and how that's played out is ultimately your responsibility for the provision of the family. Does that make sense? So you got to work that out. And some of those things are a little bit more difficult. But still, when God sits there and judges whether the family has ultimately been provided for or not, your wife may be making more money to you, but guess who he's going to go to to hold accountable? You and me. Does that make sense? Okay. If you've got more questions about that, see us about it. Okay. But primarily, that, that's what it looks like. Now, the second thing is, it's not only physically, we all get that, but what, what about the provision spiritually? Men, again, I think that this is, <laughs> I just want you to get this point for your wife's sake. I want you to understand when you sit there and you're so frustrated and you're going, what else does my wife want from me? I am working 50 hours a week. I am providing. There's food on the table. They're able to take trips. They're able to do whatever it is. Here's what they want. They, they want you. They want you. They want you to be present. And I'm saying this to you because I know this myself. That there's a tendency for me to check off boxes. You ever do that? Well, just got to make sure I spend enough time with this one, enough time with this one. And I'm spent, I'm there, but I'm not really there. Anybody else ever deal with this? You're there and you know it because your child has had to say the same thing three times. And you're like, what was that again? I'm sorry. What was that again? We're not speaking, my wife's like, they're not speaking Portuguese. It's just, it's just English. You're not listening. They, they want you to, to be there. They want you. They want you emotionally there. They want you spiritually there. And one of the big things, listen, man, is to be leading your family spiritually. You are to take the primary responsibility to lead and to cultivate the hearts of your wife and of your children. That's, that's, that's heavy. What do we do with that? Let me, let me just say this. It really is primarily about teaching the word of God in your home to your wife, and to your children. Now, now let's, I'm, I'm losing people. I could feel it. I felt like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought there was maybe another way, maybe some can I can buy and open it up and whatever. No, no, open up in a can in any way, shape, or form, all right? You say, what do you do? In order to be able to feed your family, you have to feed yourself. It, it comes from the overflow of what it is that you're taking in. You have to become a man of the word. And so, so what happens is, look, this is, a bad, this is where a lot of guys sit there and go, man, well, I just don't know how to study. I've never taught. That's just a bad excuse in this church especially because we have said a million times, we will teach you. There are godly men all over this church. I'm telling you, all over this church, I could probably list at least 20 that I could just send you to and say, hey, man, go and learn from them. Go and learn from them. They'll, they'll teach you how to do this or they'll teach you how to study the word of God. We'll literally sit down and show you how to take in the word of God so that you can learn it and you can study so that you can have something to say in your home. Listen, how can you lead your life spiritually? What we mean by that is according to the teachings of the word of God if you don't know the word of God. You can't. I'm not, I'm not trying to be difficult there, but you just can't teach what it is that you don't know. And so what I would say is, obviously, you need to be able to learn the Word of God, and we want to help you with that. The other thing that I would say is this, is 
with your family and bringing them together, just make a time where you come together with your family and your kids to study the Word or read the Word or read a scripture or read a devotional or something and just pray with them. Show that this is a, this is a priority in your life. You sit there and you go, but, but I don't do very well. Listen, I'm horrible at this, all right? You want to be encouraged? Come to my house when we have family devotions. You will be so encouraged, okay? And I don't mean that because you're going to come in and the, the Shekinah glory of God is there and, there and angels are singing, go, whoa, this is how you do it. You know, no, this is not it. You go and you see me losing more hair by the second that I'm trying to teach. I've got, I don't know how this happened. I blame it on my wife. We've got three older kids, three younger kids, and it is almost impossible to do like family devotion with that, right? I'm sitting over there talking about the propitiation of Jesus Christ because my son and my daughters are asking it, and the other kids are like, who's Christ, right? And you're, and you're, and you're just, and you're, uh, and you're, what, you're, you're navigating and you're trying, uh, 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 and, and then, I mean, then the dog's running around, right? I mean, squirrels, all right? So wh- whatever it is, so just come over, and it's like literally I'm, pa- I'm, I'm frazzled when I'm done, okay? I'm like frazzled, going, okay, guys, love you, all right, just everybody just go to bed, all right? And, and I just lay, and lay down, and you just kind of, <laughs> you know, detox that. Okay, you're talking about a man who has been schooled forever and done all these kind of things. Listen, I'm just telling you, there's no easy way to go about doing it but taking the initiative to do it. And what I found is you, you don't have to be, like, amazing. Like, my poor kids' minds, like, at first I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take part of my dissertation and I'm going to teach that, that. No, that doesn't work, right? We're talking about, hey, man, let me tell you that God loves you. Here's how we know. Here's a simple story. We're going to get right to it. This is what, but what I find in the other times is not just sitting down with them. It's finding times that when you're just driving about and you're going about and they begin to ask questions to really listen. My son just don't say it because he'll be embarrassed. A couple minutes ago when we were talking about leadership, he says, okay, Dad, I get the father, uh, the husband-wife relationship, submission, leadership, get that. But how does that look like for a presidential candidate? We got to talk this afternoon, all right? I'm going to first of all look at my systematic theology book and look it up online, and then I'm going to get right back to you, right? And so, 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 but, but, but do you see what I'm saying? Is Men, listen to me. <laughs> I want to say something to you that I think that might free you up a little bit. This, is, this has been so helpful to me, and this is what I say to younger preachers. You don't have to know everything. You just have to take the initiative. For some of you, the best thing to be able to do is just to go to your wife and sit there and say, we need to spend time in the Word with the family. I don't know what to do. What are your ideas on this? And your wife's, first of all, her head will fall off the back of her shoulders, but when she regains, she's going to sit there and go, I would love to be able to help with this. See, it's okay. Now, at that particular moment, you have a helpmate that's going to help you with that, but you know what she loves? You initiated. You initiated it. That's, it's kind of like when I tell, guys, it's all about initiation. It's like when, when guys eventually want to be able to date my girls or court my girls or whatever the world, I'm so confused on what all this stuff is. But if they're interested in the girl, guess what? They better initiate. I'm not having some sappy little boy that is all, <laughs> no, 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 no. You better, here's your straw, suck it up, get in here. And if you're going to initiate something, initiate something. Because if you don't initiate now, you're not going to initiate later, right? And so here's what I would say is, where, where, do, we, where do we see that? And let me, let me just give two warnings real quick. Let me give a warning, first of all, to our wives. You can't leave the sermon, go out, and say, see? See? 
I've been telling you all this time, you need to be leading. You need to buck up, Brother Bill, all right? Because you need to be leading. You cannot coerce your husband to lead, or guess what? You're leading. You're leading. And men don't do well. I'm trying to talk to you. They don't do well with you sitting there and nagging on them. I know, that's a, I know you thought that it was the best way to go. It's not. It's just not. You say, what do you do? Listen, what you do is you make a request. I need you to lead us in this, honey, if you will. Would you lead us in this? And what you're going to have to work out in the rest of your marriage is the distinction between making a request and nagging and trying to manipulate. I can't give that answer for you, but I think in your heart you know the difference between the two. Men, let me, let me give you a warning. Uh, if you decide, and you ought to, because if the Spirit of God is in you, this is what God's calling you to do, the hardest thing you will ever do is leave your wife, lead your wife and family biblically. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. I don't care if you're a Green Bay or whatever, a football player or whatever, nothing's more difficult to me on a day-to-day basis than consistency in leading my wife and leading my family. Here's part of the reason why that is. is because of your sinful flesh. If you go back to Genesis once again, Genesis, we see that the problem, one of the first parts of sin for man was what? His failure to take the initiative to defend his wife from Satan. What does he do? He just doesn't do it. So she takes his position. We go to Genesis chapter 3, and we find out that part of the curse now is that the wife in her flesh and her sinfulness is now going to have a propensity to want to lead her family. And guess what else is going to happen? The husband is going to have no problem with it. What you're going to feel within yourself is this propensity that if my wife's taking care of it, that's fine. I'll just back off here. I'm not going to do what it does. You've got to fight that. You can't allow that burden to be able to place on her. You've got to be primarily responsible to take the lead within your home, that, that spiritual lead within your home. But here's the good news. The good news is if you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not the same man you used to be. You've been regenerated. That means that God never saves anybody that he doesn't radically change. What he does is he puts to death your old nature and he puts within you a new desire to do the things of God and he gives you the Holy Spirit to be able to empower you to do what God has called you to do and to do what you want to do. So it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, but here's the beautiful thing. God is supplying everything you need to do it. You have to take the initiative. And why do I say that ultimately with the initiative is because, again, you'll never be more like Christ than taking the initiative than to, 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 to protect and to provide for your family. Romans 5, 8, I love this. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that verse says? Christ took the initiative. It says, while we were yet sinners. In other words, we weren't seeking him. We weren't trying to be saved. We didn't even need, know that we needed to be saved. And Christ said, when you were lost, when you were, when you were the devils, he goes, I went to the cross and I died for you. That's initiative to be able to save you. And so men, to be able to follow that same exact model, take the initiative today. Wherever you are, take it today. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Now, before we do, let me just say this one thing. As we're closing up here, in Genesis, in, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve have fallen, after Adam and Eve have fallen, what happens is we know that it was Eve that took the leadership role. She had a serious sin problem at this point. But when God comes, he says to them, he says, Adam, where are you? He goes to the head of the house because of the problems that are within the marriage. 
And so what I would do is I would just ask that same question today. Men, where are you in leading your home? Where are you in setting the precedence for your home? To setting the structure, to setting standards for your home. Where are you in, listen, you don't have to be a master at the Bible. Just begin to learn to study the word of God. If you don't, it will haunt you for the rest of your life. Just do it because you want to do it. It's not rocket science. We could teach you how to do that. Men, just take the initiative to sit there and say, as me and my house, me and my house, we're to serve the Lord. I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to be making sure that my wife is being fed through the scriptures. My children are being fed through the scriptures. Just take the initiative. Will you do it? Will you trust God this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, would you move? Would you move in this place? Huge place for couples this morning. That men would stand up and say, God, before you, with your strength, I'll lead. I'll lead. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would we stand? Would we stand together as we sing?